This morning, we want to get back into Galatians. We've taken a few a few weeks of breaks, right? We had Mother's Day, and then before that, I was in San Diego. So you guys were blessed by Dan Winkowich, and then last week, we were blessed by Mel and Peg and Noreen. Give them another hand for what they did last week. They did a great job. And this week, I want to start by backing up a bit why where we were in Galatians just a couple weeks ago. So before we get into it, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word this morning. Lord, to share what's been not just in Scripture, but laid on my heart. Lord, I pray uh, that your Holy Spirit would move upon the people. Lord, we thank you for your presence even here now. Lord, I pray that this is a word that would shake up the lives of those who are here. Lord, that you would use not just my my voice, but others as well. Lord, we thank you that you are continually moving us to maturity. You are continually causing us to grow. And so, Lord, let this be a word that causes us to grow this morning. Let this be a word that sticks with us and causes us to mature this morning. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your goodness and your grace in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When we uh, get back into Galatians, we get back to where we were a few weeks ago now. We get back into chapter 5 and verse 1. It's a, it's a good place to start. And it says this, it says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do not submit again. For freedom, say freedom. Look at your neighbor, say freedom. Alex is looking around. No neighbor. That's all right. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This isn't spoken to those who are defined as uh, sinners. Remember that. This is spoken to those who have been redefined through Jesus as righteous. Remember that when you come to Jesus, you make him Lord of your life. Not only is your destiny changed, but your definition is changed. Your destiny is changed and that you're no longer going to hell. You're going to heaven. Your definition is changed and that you're no longer declared to be a sinner. You're declared to be righteous through the blood of Jesus. Amen? How many glad to be known as righteous through the blood of Jesus? I am. It's nothing that I've done. It's nothing that I deserve, but it's all through the blood. Paul says this, stand firm, believer. Sometimes we need a wake-up call, right? Paul, Paul wants to shake them and says, stand firm, believer. Do not go back to the slavery that drags you down. It is a yoke of bondage. We spoke about this a few weeks ago. How many remember this? We ended the service by worshiping together to the song, No Longer Slaves. We stood up, we worshiped together, and you know, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Amen. How many know that you guys aren't slaves to fear anymore? You're sons and daughters of the Most High. When we think about what it means, we think we're no longer slaves this morning. We are saved this morning. We are, we are made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And now we are sons and daughters to our Abba, Daddy, Father, God. Amen. How many want to have a relationship with God that is like Abba, Father, Daddy, right? How many know that if we are sons and daughters of the King, we should be living like it? Amen. 
Paul gives us a good reminder and gives the church in Galatia some really good teaching on what it means to be free in Jesus. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 2 now. We're going to go to verse 6, and it says this. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now, we've talked about this uh, more than a few weeks. It's kind of a theme of Galatians. They're trying to say that if you're circumcised, then you are righteous or you're made righteous. And Paul says that's simply not, not what it is. He says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. That's scary stuff. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Say faith working through love. We get back into the reason Paul has written to the Galatians in the first place, right? The arguments and debates over the law. What do we follow? What do we not have to follow any longer? The arguments, debates, what are we, what are we justified by? When he speaks of circumcision, it's in reference to the law. And I want to I make this very, very clear. The law is the rules. It's the 613-odd rules that were, that were put in place, right? This is the law. This is, this is what they have to follow in order to achieve righteousness. The problem is they could never follow those rules. David Guzik says this, when we embrace the law as our rule of walking with God, we must let go of Jesus. If you embrace the law as your rule of walking with God, you must let go of Jesus. He is no longer your righteousness. We attempt to earn it ourselves. For the Galatians in this context, to receive circumcision, to receive that which is a ritual that was testified, a Gentile was now under the law. It meant that he no longer trusted in Jesus as his righteousness, but trusted in himself instead. So Paul could rightly say, Christ will profit you nothing. There are some people even today, that put their faith in the rules. They put their faith and they put their righteousness in how good they are at following the rules. How many ever knew somebody that just always follows the rules? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Anybody? Alex, you're raising your hand. Do you want to volunteer who that might be? No, okay. There are some people who are always following the rules. And I can say this morning, I want to share that claiming Jesus as your Savior, but still depending on the law, still depending on works for righteousness, it takes away from any claim you may have to Jesus. If you claim Jesus as your Savior, but you are still dependent on rules and law for righteousness, it takes away any claim that you have to Jesus. How many know, of course, there are uh, false beliefs, cults, things like that, that require you to work in order to earn righteousness. There's false beliefs, cults, that, I mean, it's, it's works-based righteousness, and I, I hope that you're not involved with any of those things. I hope that you stay away from those groups. But this principle, and I want to say this clearly, 
also applies to biblical, Jesus-glorifying, spirit-filled churches and ministries. You can be a part of a spirit-filled ministry, but if you're depending on your works for righteousness, you have no claim to Jesus. You can be part of a, of a Jesus-glorifying ministry, but if you're depending on, on, on what following the rules for your righteousness, you have no claim to Jesus. That's what Paul is telling the Galatians here. You can sing songs. You can lift your hands. You can, how many know you can shout glory at the right time in the sermon? Anybody want to do it right now? Glory. But if you are dependent on works for righteousness, you are simply lost in self-righteousness. It's why we see that, that Christ Jesus, we see this, in Christ Jesus, neither the circumcision nor the uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith, say faith, working, say working, through, say through, love. This is a hard thing for the church to comprehend sometimes. I grew up in a very religious area of the country. And I mean very religious. I hesitated about whether or not to share this this morning. Because I don't want, I don't want to give any kind of uh, indication that all the people there were just religious and didn't have the Lord or didn't know the Lord or anything like that. I grew up in uh, what was called Holland, Michigan. It's just below Grand Rapids. It is the Christian Reformed headquarters of the world. Okay. Uh, if, you, if you know anything about Orange City or Pella, it would be very much like that. Okay? It's, tulip time is happening right now. We dance in wooden shoes and put on weird costumes and have parades. It's a good time. It really is. A lot of good food, a lot of good stuff, right? Very wholesome, very religious. And part of that has to do with Dutch heritage and things like that. But it was a really interesting thing growing up in that area, in that time. And even now, where it's just a really incredibly religious area. Where you knew that somebody, if it, the, the good way to tell if somebody needed to get, get saved, if somebody needed Jesus, the best way to tell would be if they mow their lawn on a Sunday. Why? Because if they're mowing their lawn on a Sunday, they must not love the Lord. And so then, okay, I can go witness to them. Now, I'm being a little facetious, of course. But I remember a minister that had come from California. He came from California. How many know what California is, right? Pretty, pretty wacky. <laughs> it's out there. But he come from California, and he comes to Michigan, and he comes as a part of kind of a minister at the church, kind of a lay minister type thing. And I remember him moving into the area, and he was just, he was busy throughout the week. And on Sunday, he looked at his lawn. He said, I need to do some lawn work. I need to mow it. And so he went out there and started his mower up at three in the, three in the afternoon and went to mow his lawn. And all of a sudden, the neighbor come over and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm mowing my lawn. What are you doing? Well, this is the Lord's day. You don't do that. He went, really? This, man, this is the only time I have to, I mean, you, and then like immediately the judgment, immediately the judgment from the religious people. How many know that sometimes religious people can get judgmental? Paul is speaking to the religious people here. 
And people say, that's not me. It probably is. It probably is. Why? Because there's always times in our lives where we get caught up in religious righteousness. There's times where we go, well, I don't know about that. How many, there's times we get caught up in legalism. There is. The Christian church is notorious for this. Shouldn't be, but it is. It's one of the reasons so many people have so many issues with organized religion. Because mostly, it's a lot of people doing religious rules, religious rituals, and then they're hypocrites the rest of the week. How many know that's true? Not all. And again, I'm, uh, like I'm from you know, the area of the country I grew up in. It was Christian Reformed. There's a lot of religious hypocrisy there. It wasn't all of them. There's a lot of Christian Reformed people that love the Lord. They're saved. They're going to heaven. They're witnessing. They're doing what they have to do because they're, they're good Christians, right? They're our brothers and sisters. How many know there's hypocritical Reforms? There's hypocritical Baptists. There's hypocritical Pentecostals. There's hip- How many know across the board, right? Paul is speaking to the church in Galatia here. And saying, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You're saying that you put your faith and trust and you find your righteousness through Jesus, but clearly you don't. You find your righteousness through following the law and following the rules. And as long as you look good, as long as you clap right, as long as you sing well, as long as you shout amen at the right time, as long as you don't mow your lawn on a Sunday, you're going to be okay. Paul says, wait a minute. There's more to it than this. Verse 7 says this. Brothers, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. We're going to get into what that means in a minute. Verse 10 says this. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. This is crazy. Paul says this. Paul says, The one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. What does that mean? We're going to get into it. Verse 12, listen to this carefully. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Anybody want to take a guess what that means? I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. We see quite a lot of frustration here from Paul. We see quite a lot, a lot of frustration, and I don't want to offend here. I really, it's not my intent to offend, but let's just read what the Scripture says, and and this is what it means. Uh, Paul is basically calling for those preaching for the law to not just stop with the circumcision. Paul is calling those who obey the law to cut off the entirety of the male appendage, if you know what I'm saying. Anybody catch my drift? Paul is using, you go, Pastor David, are are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. Alex is laughing. I know, you know I'm not kidding, right? That's kind of, because that's how, listen, there's a line from Matthew where Jesus says, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. It's used in hyperbole. He's using exaggeration for effect, right? I pray that that's what Paul is doing here. I don't know for sure, but I pray that that's what Paul is doing here. I really hope it's just a form of exaggeration for effect. But the message is clear, and it's this. 
it's this little issue that has huge repercussions. It has huge repercussions. When Paul says a little leaven leavens the whole lump, what does that mean? It means this. Uh, okay, so how many know what leaven is? Right? If you're a baker, you might know what leaven is. If, if you're not, you might not. Leaven is a leavening agent, right? So, uh, for instance, when you put yeast into something, it spreads and it grows, it rises, right? So a little leaven, a little yeast, leavens the whole lump. It's a, it's a term that not everybody is familiar with, right? Paul says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And what he's saying is that the effect of sin in any amount will ultimately cause sin throughout. So when you just put a little bit of yeast in, just a little bit, and cause it to let it grow, and it's in the right, right temperature and the right circumstances, right? And it goes throughout the entirety of that loaf of bread. It spreads until it pervades every part of it. The, the issue is the same way with sin. The same way with sin, we just we, we let a little bit in. The sin here isn't one that you would think. You think, well, yeah, I mean, that would be sin. There's sin like, I mean, murdering somebody. That's sin, right? Yeah, of course. Paul is talking here about a sin of the church where they're putting their righteousness on something other than Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we are in danger. It is sin. The issue of circumcision may not seem like a huge deal to you. But in reality, it was a massive offense to the cross of Christ. Paul says clearly that if righteousness is achieved through circumcision, there's simply no need for the cross. If it's achieved through following the law, Jesus died for nothing. That's a pretty offensive statement. To these this people, this early church, that they go, wait a minute. We're following Jesus. We, we are. We love Him. We, no, no. It seems like you're following the law. It seems like you're following the rules. Paul was being persecuted by the Jews because he was preaching that it's only through Jesus that we can be made righteous. Nothing else, including the law, can achieve that for us. And honestly, that challenged the power of the Jewish leaders directly. It challenged them directly by because they were the gatekeepers. They were the gatekeepers to righteousness. They're the ones that said, oh, you followed the law or you didn't follow the law. We're the judges of that. Now the gatekeepers are taken away. And now it's just you before the throne of Jesus. And the gatekeepers are removed. And it challenges their power. And so Paul is, is going after, is, they're going after him. They're being, he's being persecuted. Paul didn't pull his punches. I like that. I can just imagine the backlash if Paul said this today. Can you imagine how quickly Paul would get canceled? How many know there's cancel culture, right? That's, that's happening. That's a real thing. Paul would be, he told me to cut what off? He, excuse me? He told me to what? Oh, yeah, yeah. Paul was preaching a sermon, Tim. And uh, during the sermon, he said, mm -hmm. excuse me? And a lot of people, you're looking at me right now going, Pastor David, please move on. Please, please move on. This is the reality of Scripture. The reality of the truth of the Word of God, right? 
what? <laughs> you go, what? Then it seems like Paul kind of tones it down a bit. How many know that sometimes you can push the envelope and then you got to kind of back it off a little bit, right, Gary? Because you just want people to respond right, right? Paul says this. It seems to, it seems to tone it down a little bit. Verse 13. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. I want to say, I like, I like kind of the, the tonation here. It's the, uh, it, it's really like Paul is just like, guys, come on. Can we just have a discussion, Matt? You were called to freedom. What are you doing? You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, say through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so I like it. It says brothers, and I I would say this, sisters, brothers, sisters, Christians. So Paul is saying, Christians, you are called to freedom. Say freedom. Come on now, say freedom. How many have freedom this morning? Say freedom. Freedom. Uh, What's the the movie, Tim? Braveheart. Oh, somebody's up Braveheart. Freedom! Sounded really stupid, didn't it? Just not freedom. Somebody shout freedom. Tim, shout freedom. Jonathan, shout freedom. That was not a shout, Jonathan. Shout freedom, Jonathan. A little better. Avery, shout freedom. (laughs) No way. Pablo, shout freedom. There you go. We like to hear that word in the church, right? We like freedom. We like freedom. Listen, we like to hear a word in the church. We like to hear, I have freedom. How many like that? I have freedom. Amen? That's not a bring you down word. That's a bring you up word. Amen? That's not a bring you down word. You know, Pastor David, you go and preach these bring me down words. This is a bring you up word. Freedom. It's good we have freedom. Because really, I lived in religious bondage. If you know what that's like, you know it is good to have freedom. Amen? How many ever lived in religious bondage? Come on. I grew up in a... Man, this is a little rabbit trail. That's okay. I grew up in a very Pentecostal, very religious church. And it was uh, everyone. It was Sunday mornings, three-piece suit. If you had a three-piece, I mean, you were dressed to the nines, right? So about 10, man, maybe it was like six, seven years ago. I went back home uh, for some sort of event, and I was wearing, like, nice jeans, nice shirt, and tennis shoes. And I walked in with my kids. And I think, I think Jackie was in the hospital, or she was sick or something like that. But we decided to go to church that Sunday morning. And so we go to the church, and I walk in, and I see friends and, and family, I mean, church family that I haven't seen in years, maybe 10-plus years. I mean, they were, I was really excited. I was glad to see them. And then I saw the pastor, and the pastor was wearing a three-piece suit. And he came up to me. I kid you not, he just kind of looked at me. And he went, hi. He kind of looked me up and down, and I could tell. Like, he looked at my shoes, looked at my jeans, looked at and he went, oh, hey. I just thought, oh. A few years before, 
many years before, in fact, we had like a, this revival in our church. I was sharing this just before the service started, actually. We had this revival in our church, and it was like three months. How many ever heard of the group? It's like Reba and Donnie Rambo. Do you guys know who that is, Reba Rambo? Yeah, Susie knows, right? So, okay. So they had come to our church. They were going to be there for a weekend, and then they ended up being there for three months straight. Just this revival. People were getting saved, coming to Jesus, all sorts of stuff. Donnie and Reba was who we call it. That was their names. And they're the same with the Gaithers and all sorts of stuff like that, right? So really well-known in kind of church, uh, music, things like that. About two months into this revival, uh, we came to church one day. I was about, I want to say I was about 12, 13, maybe 14 years old, maybe 10. I don't, I don't know. It was close to that age. We come to church, and we see that there's a homeless man that is trying to get into the church. Homeless man is pretty ragged. You can tell he's kind of drunk. And uh, my dad was one of the elders in the church. The church leadership is trying to trying to ra- wrangle him up. The police are there. He's causing trouble. It's just nonsense. The church service starts. We have praise and we have worship. And this drunk man comes into the service. Just stumbling. And he starts, you have to understand, this is a a pretty large 2,000-seat auditorium. Okay? And so he starts walking kind of in the back, and, and we're in praise and worship, but how many know when there's something going on in the church, there might be time for praise and worship, but everybody's eyes are on what's happening. And we're watching him as he kind of makes his way down an aisle, and he starts to walk up towards the front. And as he does, there is a guy named Larry. Now, Larry was not well-respected in the church. To be honest with you, at times, Larry was pretty dirty. He kind of had a smell to him, and, and, he, and his kids weren't well taken care of. They didn't wear the greatest clothes, and they didn't, you know, they were somewhat looked down upon, to be honest with you. Not a good thing, but that's just kind of the reality of the situation. This drunk man is walking down the aisle, and Larry steps out and wraps his arms around him and says, Jesus loves you. Just just a simple, just, just that simple, wraps his arms around him. And the guy, Larry sits down, and the guy is still standing there, and we're still in praise and worship, right? And the man stumbles his way to the front of the church and then stumbles his way on stage. There's elders and there's deacons looking around like, what are we going to do? And then the man grabs a microphone. And he takes off his beard. And it was Donnie, the evangelist for that time. And in a church of 1,500 to 2,000 people, he said, that man, Larry, is the only one who wrapped his arms around me, is the only one who embraced me, is the only one who loved me. What is wrong with the rest of you?
say, Pastor David, what does this have to do with legalism? <laughs> Living in a religious bondage. We're so concerned about what words are on the screen and we're so concerned about whether we hit the right notes. Do we not notice the people around us? The tragedies that they might be going through and the heartaches that they might be encountering. And maybe someone this morning just needs to have their arms wrapped around them and, and, and just be told Jesus loves you. For many people within the religious game, I say game because a lot of times it's treated as a game. Stand up, sit down, raise your hands, clap, da 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 People that claim freedom in Jesus, but so many times they seem as if our righteousness is dependent on how well you play the game. That's legalism. Legalism goes beyond what God directs us to do. I mean, you know, God directs us to do things, right? There's God's direction. Those are things we want to follow, things that we want to adhere to, things we want to, right? But legalism goes beyond what God directs us to. Let me tell you, in case you're not sure, your righteousness is not based on how well you dress. It's not based on how well you sing. It's not based if you clap on beat. It is not based on long work on Sunday, right? It's not based on whether or not you have a glass of beer or a glass of wine with dinner. It's not based on how well you follow the rules or how well you speak to crowds. My righteousness is based on one thing only. Your righteousness is based on one thing only, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? We have freedom in Jesus this morning. Amen? You say, yes, we do, but be careful. Be careful. Paul tells us not to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And so what does that mean? And I like what David Guzik says here. He says this, the great fear of the legalist is that liberty would be used as an opportunity for the flesh. So we're given a lot of liberty, and now, well, people are just going to use it for the flesh. The idea is that people will just go out and sin as they please. Then they say to a spineless God, oh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then they go out doing what they want again. That's a spineless God. That's, that's, that, that is not our God. Amen? Paul recognized the danger of the attitude of, well, if I have freedom, I can just do whatever I want. That shows the attitude of your heart. That shows the maturity of your faith. So he warns about it here in verse 16. He says this, and I'm going I'm to kind of go through this all. It's, it's uh, verse 16. We start, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. They're against God. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. So they, they are opposed to each other is what it says. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I don't want to be led by the Spirit this morning. I want to be led by the Spirit. That means I'm not under the law. See, when people hear freedom, they get real excited. Oh, freedom, that's awesome. As a believer in Jesus, freedom doesn't mean you get to do anything you want with no consequences. What it really does is reveal the maturity of where you are with the Lord. It reveals your heart condition. Paul says the works of the flesh are clear. And then he gives us a list. 
And you say, well, wait a minute, there's a list of things we shouldn't do? Yeah, there is. Well, what if I don't agree with that list? Then admit you're wrong. Why? You're trying to fight against the creator of the universe? You're trying to fight against the word of God? We say, well, I don't think that's wrong. I don't think that's bad. You're wrong. I love you. I'm sorry. In truth, in grace, you're wrong. It's an opportunity for you to get right with Jesus. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Verse 19, it says this. Sexual immorality. What does that include? All sorts of stuff. I've preached on it before. We're not going to preach on it right now because it will contain the rest of the message. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's an important thing there. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, I love this, is joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no such law. Amen? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, this is really interesting stuff, and I've preached on this before. We're not going to rehash all the works in depth right now, but Paul makes it clear that if you are involved with the sins of the flesh and like these things, you're not walking in the Spirit. But if you're walking in sin, and those that walk in sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what he says, right? Paul makes it very clear. If you're walking in sin, you won't. And then we see the fruit of the Spirit. What will be evident in the lives of those who are walking in the Spirit, those who have dedicated themselves to the Lord, they'll have the fruit of the Spirit. That will be evident in their lives. You say, Pastor David, that's a lot of things of what not to do. Now, I want to make this abundantly clear. Incredibly clear. Please hear me today. There are some Christians who struggle with issues. Amen? Not amen like that's a good thing, but amen, that's right. There's Christians that struggle with issues. And how many know from time to time we all struggle with flesh? That neighbor says something, that person says something, all of a sudden my flesh rises up, and now I'm getting angry. Not justifiable, not righteous anger, just angry. And how many know that's just part of living in the world? We live in this world, and we have to, we have to fight against it, and we're, we are being perfected, but we're not there yet, right? How many there yet? Anybody? There are some people who are really fighting to rid themselves of these issues that are continually plaguing them. I mean, it's like the devil is on their shoulder all the time, just, just attacking them, and they struggle with their sin. And my heart breaks for them, and your heart should break for them. We need compassion on those who are struggling. Amen? We need compassion for those people who are struggling. They are working towards overcoming it, but it's a tough battle. And they need the church to come alongside them and with love and grace and truth, help them in their struggle. Why? Paul tells us why. 
Because the entirety of the law is summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because through love, we serve each other. Through love, we serve each other. If I was to move ahead in this message and go to chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul gives us this instruction. It's going to be the last thing you hear from me this morning before communion. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. It's clear that the Lord wants us to serve each other through love. Amen. This morning, we are going to take communion together. But before we do, I've asked someone to come and share their testimony a bit about how God grabbed a hold of them in their struggle. And I know that it will be a blessing to you this morning. Please welcome Jenny Russell. Good morning. I was just up here, was it a few months ago? And shared a condensed version of my story. And that's always such a joy, and I hope it's encouraging to the church, to those who are listening, to those who put their hope and faith in Christ. I hope it kind of pumps you up. I always love hearing testimonies. So Pastor David called me a couple days ago. I was like, hey, can you do this? And I was working. And I, I took a deep breath. And I was like, well, let me think about it. And I was like, nope, I'm going to do it. Just because, again, it's edifying to the church, right? And so over the weekend, I was thinking about how and what I was going to share with you guys. And so we're in, we're in Galatians right now. And that was actually the first book of the Bible that I ever read. And it, uh, it stuck out so much to me because the book talks a lot about freedom and that so desperately what I needed when I first came to know Jesus because I was enslaved and in bondage to so many things, in particular drugs. Um, and that's... It was a, a progression. I don't want to go too far back. <laughs> I'll be here until 2 p.m. Um, but so I, I grew up in the church and I was told my whole life, you know, don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. It was just this whole checklist of things. And I was like, yeah, but I want to do those things. So I'm going to do those things. <laughs> and I was, I was kind of the rebel of the family. I was kind of the disobedient one. Like I always questioned everything. Like I never never did what you wanted me to do. My dad's here. He's probably like, why is she up here again? This is hard to listen to. Because <laughs> he had to deal with me, thankfully. Thankfully. Thank you for everything you've done for me. And I'll, I'll get to it. You'll understand. And uh, give him a pat on the back when you see him after service and be like, good work. She turned out pretty good. <laughs> anyway, so when I, when I was young, I had experienced some like sexual trauma and uh, just some weird kind of things. And, and if you want to hear more about it, I'd, I'd love to share my, in, my story with you in its entirety. But anyway, I was really 
confused. I was really sad. I, I thought God had wired me wrong. There was all these things that the enemy was, was feeding me, right? I was young. I was stupid. I hated my family. I hated my life. And uh, coming here to this church was the worst thing you could do to me. I hated it. And uh, so I went on and went on. And as I got a little bit older, the, the friends that I that I chose, they, they weren't the best. We all made pretty poor decisions. And so I, I started drinking and smoking at a pretty early age. And uh, that just, you know, it always just gets gets worse. And I would sneak out and I was really rebellious. I was disrespectful to my family, to my parents, and just really screwing up every every turn, every step I made. And it was that, so May is actually a pretty big month for me as far as dates and like milestones. So when I I was 17, oh no, I would I was 18. Um, I had decided I'd my boyfriend and I had broken up for like the 150th time. Oh, super stupid drama. Anyway, so I went to a party and I got really drunk. Now, I liked alcohol, but I didn't normally get drunk because you know, it's like, I got to drive home. Like, I got to get home. Like, I can't just. But I had a lot of friends who they would drink just to black out, just to pass out. So I always kind of felt like whoever I was with, I always kind of felt responsible for them. So I kind of, I didn't overdo it, but I would, I would participate, right? So this time I was a mess. I was upset and I got drunk and I decided to drive home. And a couple of my friends tried to stop me. And I, I wouldn't listen. I'm really stubborn. I'm still stubborn. Uh, but even back then, I was, I was worse. I was uh, just, just a mess. Anyway, so I got behind the wheel, and I drove. And thankfully, somebody saw, as I, I had a fight with my friend, as they were trying to take my keys from me. Well, I made a, enough of a scene where the neighbors, like the person's house that I was next to, they called the cops. So they already knew I was driving. I was on the road. Anyway, so they were looking for me. I got pulled over, and it was weird because I actually had pulled over to puke. So I was already like pulled over when the lights came on. So anyway, weird story. Um, I spent the night in jail and it was weird. The, the grace of God was all over that too, because it could have been much worse because it, it was supposed to be a DUI. Then it got knocked down to an OWI. Then it got knocked down to a public intox because there was all these margins of air that were happening. Like uh, when I blew through the breathalyzer, like I was just like a half a point off of where it should have been to be like qualify for a DUI. And it was really weird, right? So I was like, at that point, like that, that was Mother's Day weekend. Yikes. And I got out of jail. And yeah, that was, that was a tough conversation. Do you remember what you told me? You said it was about time. And I was like, oh, snap. Like, okay. Because I'd just gotten in so much trouble up until then. So yeah, it was a miracle that it hadn't happened before then. Anyway, so I was like, okay. I barely am gonna graduate high school. My life is not going the way it should, right? So like I knew something was wrong. And I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to college and I'm gonna, it's like a fresh start, right? Uh, new friends, new town, new school, it's gonna be a new me and it's gonna be great. Well, it wasn't. I just found a different set of friends who had a different interest other than alcohol. Uh, I was exposed to, um, I started smoking weed, then I started selling weed, then I got introduced to pills, and I really like pills, because unlike alcohol, 
I'd, I'd struggle with pain, with chronic pain ever since like my young, like teenage years, never really knew what was going on. I have sciatica now, in case you guys were interested. Anyway, so really kind of a debilitating kind of situation. So I, I'm in chronic pain a lot of the time. My hips hurt, my back hurt, my feet hurt. Anyway, I'm like an 80-year-old woman. <laughs> it's fine. And so I was looking to self-medicate. Like, and pills, this was like, this is where it was at. Like, Oxycontin, muscle relaxers, loved ecstasy. I did everything and anything when I was in college. And it was, it was horrible. Um, the, the digression or progression of my addiction. Um, yeah, I just just kept kept getting worse. And I kept getting more and more desperate, more and more broken. Um, and you know, it's I wanted to I wanted to paint a good enough picture, I guess actually it's not a great picture of of me, right? Of Jenny who I was before Christ, the low lights, if you will, and then highlight Jesus on this other side. Because there, while I was over here, uh, she was mean, she was angry, she was cold, she was in pain, she was broken, she was confused. And uh, I couldn't fix it. And it I didn't try super hard, but I mean, I don't know, I was trapped. And yeah, I just, I got into some really scary situations where I should have died. I overdosed a couple of times. I sold my body for drugs, you know, I, I don't want to get too graphic, but I just, I've done some shameful things. And so it was to the point I had burned all the bridges there, still had burned bridges in Esterville, but, you know, my family was here. Thankfully, my family was supportive all the way through and, uh, and knew it was it was the best. I know it was it was the hardest thing because I, I kept saying I was like I'm, I want to come home, and my mom kept saying no. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, hate it here, hate it there, and it was it was awful. I was I was homeless. I had barely graduated from college. I got kicked out twice. How they let me back in? I don't know. The guys, there's like God's provision and protection was everywhere. If when I look back. And this was, you know, 10, 11 years ago. That's not that long. But when I look back, I'm just like, what? Wow. It could have been so much worse. Like, I thought it was worse. Like, I thought it was the worst. But when I look back, it was Halloween. It was 2008 probably. And I got out with my friend and we had done some ecstasy and we went to the club. And for some reason, so when, you, when you're rolling, it's, you're up all night, right? We had school the next day because we're smart, and for some reason, I was like, I gotta, I'm just going to go home, like, I'm, I'm done, like, I'm just going to go back to the apartment, and my friend, she's like, like, no, we're going to, we got to keep partying, like, there's other clubs I want to go to, there's other people we got to see, and I, for some reason, I was like, no, 
can't do it. I don't, I don't know why. Well, I learned the next day she got gang raped. There are things like that speckled throughout my story where I know that my parents were praying and that God was with me. Really scary stuff. And I, I celebrated 10 years of sobriety last weekend. And I just, I got on my knees. And I, I'm just so thankful that he, he brought me so far. He brought me out of darkness and into light. And it wasn't, it was because of Jesus, but it was he, people being used by Jesus. The previous pastor here and the worship leader here, they took me in. They took me aside. They loved me. My family, of course, loved me through and through. You know, it didn't quite click. Like, everything that I had heard my whole life, just it didn't make sense until someone else said it to me. He chased me out of the sanctuary doors and caught me and said, Jenny, God loves you. That's all it took. That small little that phrase, that seed, for the first time, I believed it. And that's where it started. And I started, I wanted to know this Jesus. Again, I'd heard him my whole life. I was like, I want to know who this Jesus is. And I went to his word. And Galatians was the first book I read. And I so desperately wanted to be freed from the chains. So, because I, I was so it, they were so heavy. They were so heavy. And I was like, if I don't, you're my, you're my last resort. You're my last hope. Like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. And he, that, I believed, and he softened my heart towards him. And he started speaking to me through his word. He started speaking to me while I was singing. I was, I was asked to be part of the worship team. And I started singing, and I, I started leading. And guys, it wasn't perfect, but it, man, Jesus, he took me, he saved me, he sought me, he redeemed me out of the muck and the mire that I, that I chose to be in. You know, we all, we have all our versions of, of what that is, but... Um, the, the, the chains of addiction are, are hard and they're strong and you, you shouldn't do it alone. I had the opportunity. I started a celebrate recovery here at this church. And it was crazy because like I hadn't been clean for that long, but I felt the Lord was pressing upon me to start this group. And I, man, I, I went through some hard nights just, just reflecting and looking back on that time, and I am so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for my Savior and for the opportunities that he has given me. I'm, yeah, I don't, I can't, I can't tell you enough how good God is, how gracious and patient. Again, my whole life I had heard about him. But it didn't, it didn't click. It didn't, it didn't make sense. And I'm so thankful that he revealed himself to me and that I repented from 
that life. And I haven't looked back. I, I won't look back. I can look back on it and be grateful. And if anything, I'm grieved. I was, I was like, man, what am I going to share? What am I going to say? And if anything, I am just, my heart is grieved for people who are in the midst of their addiction and who feel alone. My heart is, is with you. And if you ever need someone to talk to, I am here. I, am, I have open ears. I, I love you guys. And you shouldn't go through anything alone. That's what this family is for. And that's, that's so much what I experienced, um, just a, a life of, of recovery in my life in Christ. And being able to be in ministry, I got to experience that all here. Guys, we, we love you. We're here for you. And I'm, yeah, I, there's more. If you want to hear more, come talk to me. I don't want to keep you guys any, any longer. But and, anyway, old Jenny's the worst. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, my new life with Christ is, yeah, is absolutely amazing, and I'm thankful for it. Give Jenny a hand. We are called to serve each other through love. Amen. In doing so, we serve Christ. This morning, we're going to take communion together before we leave. Uh, if you want to bring the elements up. If you guys want to stand this morning. Well, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Well, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Sing that with me. Well, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Well, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. This morning we're going to take communion. But before we do, I want to, I want to ask you this question. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you have a life that has been filled with addiction. Maybe you have a life that's been filled with turmoil and tragedy. You've been in bondage far too long. And you need Jesus. You need the love of Jesus to break those chains off of your life. If that's you this morning, everyone has their heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you, would you raise your hand? You just say, I need Jesus. David, what's going on? What's going on is the Lord is ministering to people. The Lord is calling people.
You need to be renewed in your faith in Jesus. You need to be renewed in your relationship with Christ. If that's you this morning, just say, that's me. I need, I, I need more of him. Then there's all of us. There's all of us that say, we need to grow closer to the Lord. We want to draw nearer to his presence. We want to go deeper in our relationship with the Lord. If that's you, lift up your head and open your eyes. That's everybody. We all need to draw closer to the Lord. Amen. If you've suffered with addiction, if you if you if you need Jesus in your life, I, I've seen some hands that got gone up, and I'm not calling you out, but I would I would I, I've directed some people to lay their hands on you. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray freedom in your name. Let shackles be broken off of their lives. Let them find freedom in your presence. Take away the struggle in Jesus' name. May they be free from whatever it is that is holding them down. And take away the bondage that has wrapped itself around them. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray over those who are here this morning, over those who are in this place. Lord, draw us near to you. In Jesus' name. Help us to grow close to you in our hearts and with our lives. Amen.